politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman yearning to focus on substance on the issues that matter at the time they matter. And that time is now here at Sierra Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for Friday, end of the week. And a lot of different little and big stories to go over. It's anarchy. It's tyranny. It's both mixed together. And... You know, I, I, I keep emotionally going back and forth, and I know a lot of you are in the same position where, on the one hand, this is hopeless. We have a uniparty, but then now we have a uniparty opposition to the uniparty. In other words, an entire movement that is kind of a little bit late to the game that recognizes and sometimes articulates the problem with the Republican Party and the conservative movement, but they ironically mirror the same problems. And then, of course, they're white-pilled on the ultimate controlled opposition, Donald J. Trump. And where does that leave us? It leaves us with no outcomes. The pain of sovereignty, security, society, inflation, freedom, it's all out the window. We're continuing to feel the pain on each and every one of those issues. The left continues to win run up the scoreboard, where does that leave us? And that's where I get to thinking, I'm just going to find a different career. As you well know, I don't enjoy this for the sake of politics. I earn barely enough to support my family. It's only thanks to the generosity of you guys who support my sponsors that I could even do this at all. Um, You know, every once in a while, I keep going back and forth saying, "Maybe, maybe I'll just quit. Get a real job. Who cares? But then I remember, you can't run away from this. That's the problem. It's not just some profligacy, stupidity, corruption in government. You can't crawl under a rock. Either the anarchy or the tyranny or both will get you. And and this is ultimately our job, to try to find some sort of slice of this great American pie that we could remain safe and free. Safe and free, safe from anarchy, free from tyranny. So we're going to go over some of the updates today a little bit on both the anarchy and tyranny side. But I just want to start off first with just why we can't even come to a resolution on some of these issues, which is so easy. Because I do want to say once in a while you see a glimmer of hope, a glimpse of what can be on a larger scale. Obviously, you see it in Florida all the time. What could be done on a larger scale? But, you know, we, we have been frustrated with the Texas legislature for an entire generation. And I must say that they are having a pretty good special session. They passed SB3 to build the border wall, SB4 to enable state and local law enforcement and judges to arrest and remove illegal aliens. Now, we'll see how much Greg Abbott actually enforces it. That will be the key. And then now they are moving over to school choice, one of the few red states that hasn't done it. So you see, when you, you, when you actually focus, you could get things done in parts of the country. But I just want to give you an example of the paralysis. There's few people who are better focused on articulating the issues that I could see in conservative media than Emerald Robinson. And one of the 
proofs of that is that she has me on her show all the time. So she appreciates good substance and she has been very kind to me. It has said very, um, you know, very, very uh, nice things about me. I don't mean to sound like Trump there, like, oh, it says nice things about me. But the point is that she appreciates substance because very few people will have me on because they don't appreciate that sort of focus. And I, I really – I don't say this to be negative on her. I say this to to play up the fact that I think she's one of the most focused on the vaccines and all this stuff. But that, you know, she is – seem I mean, from what I could see, is supporting Trump – and she had me on to talk about the budget CR and the latest, you know, political adultery that was committed this week. And she started off our segment yesterday playing a clip from Alabama Senator Katie Britt saying how excited she was to pass the CR and we avoided a Christmas omnibus. And I said, look, Emerald, I know some people in your audience probably will, you know, won't appreciate this, but I hate to say it. That senator, we only have her because of Donald Trump. You know, we had Mo Brooks who stood and fought for Trump no end. And Trump stabbed him in the back and then supported this this rhino. I mean, like, what do you want from me? It's the same thing. All these people will just complain about Rona McDaniel. And, and the, 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 deciding, the, the deciding factor... The determining factor in why she won against Hermit Dillon was Trump's endorsement. It was the same reason why we're stuck in this morass now with the speakership, because when we had more leverage in January to get rid of McCarthy cleanly, Trump sandbagged that and short-circuited the leverage we had. It's like, what do you want from me? And she she said then, like, what, what are we supposed to do? I said, look, it starts by getting better endorsements in primaries. So to that end, I am going to focus a little bit on some primaries. There is uh, the South Carolina chairman of the South Carolina State Legislative Freedom Caucus is challenging Timmons, the congressman from the you know Highlands in Greenville, Spartanburg. That's the best part of South Carolina, one of, one of the best parts of our country in terms of places where you want to floor the gas pedal on freedom-loving right-wingers. Instead, we have this loser there. Endorsed by, you guess it, Mike Johnson and Donald Trump. So we're going to be fighting that. There's another guy I'm looking at, Victor Avila, former ICE agent, longtime friend of mine. He was almost killed by the cartels. Uh, his partner was killed in an ambush by the uh, Zetas cartel. We'll have him on soon one of these days. He's running against Tony Gonzalez, the open borders Republican from Central Texas. But... I mean, that's the thing. You have to have some sort of forward-looking thing. It's not enough to just say, oh, uh, vaccines and, you know, January 6th and Ukraine just to kind of use as a talking point to weaponize against your political enemies. But then you don't do anything about it. It, 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 It's kind of like there's this trend now on Twitter where all of these, like, hardcore secular... Trump know-nothing losers are saying Christ is king. And I'd be like, all right, well, that's that's what every Christian believes, should believe if they're they're believing Christian. Um, that's that's the basic tenet of the religion. But why are you all of a sudden saying that? Well, they're trying to own Ben Shapiro, who's Jewish, and they're trying to like shove in his face because they're fighting with him over Israel, because there's nothing so amazingly Christian as supporting Islamo Nazis, like, yeah, right. 
But so it's the funniest thing. You now have Bruce Jenner and what's what's his name? That guy, that old guy from Florida. Um, I'm forgetting his name. Roger Stone. Big secular guy. I mean, you know, so he puts out Christ is king. And I almost felt like saying sodomy is king, but I didn't want people to get the wrong idea. I was making fun of him, not Christians, obviously. You have the people who are the least Christian who then use it suddenly to weaponize against Jews they don't like in Israel. Um, it reminds, it's a mirror image of liberal Jews who don't keep Judaism, but then suddenly find it to weaponize against Christian conservatives. It's a mirror image of that, by the way. And it's a similar thing. It's like, yeah, Ben Shapiro, you were bad on vaccines. Like, okay, but you don't seem to care too much either when you're dealing with Donald J. Trump. And this is all just to continue the point yesterday that you cannot move on from this morass if all we're going to do is expose. I, I see a lot, again, friends of mine, Trump really exposed the, 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 the depravity and the corruption. Uh, all right. We've been, we've, been, we've been exposing for nine years. Now it's time to move on to the next stage. It's time to move on. Trump's Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, just wrote a book on COVID fascism calling DeSantis a racist for opposing masks. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Um, this man, he was Trump's Surgeon General to the very last day in office. I mean... What what am I supposed to do with that? But again, particularities, nuance, facts, specifics just don't matter. But they kind of do because that's where civilization is won and lost. We're so obsessed with the accoutrements and the icing on the cake, but not the cake itself. Well, the symbolism, but not the substance. There's time and a place for, for symbolism. But it can't be the whole thing. Can't be the whole thing. It turns out, I have to find out the latest today, but it looks like the Miami-Dade Teachers Union might fail to exist. Thanks to a new law enforced by DeSantis, they need 60% support, and it looks like they only have 58% in the voting so far. I mean, we're not talking about some county in rural Florida. We're talking about the most urban part of Florida, and it might not have a teacher's union. I know DeSantis told a friend of mine when he took office, one of his goals was to crush the three sources of Democrat power, and one of them is the teacher's union. And and every day, I, I don't have the clip with me, but if you just Google DeSantis interview with Glenn Beck, it was it was yesterday. He talks about, with a great degree of specificity, his focus every day, what he wants to do, how he knows that you have certain leverage points and he's going to use it. Take yes for an answer. He's not perfect, but until we break out of this vicious cycle, we can't even look to a solution because I can't get people focused on that. But anyway, I want to get back to the anarchy and tyranny today. First, our sponsors, our friends at Patriot Academy. You know, I am looking forward over the weekend to doing a lot of pistol and rifle shooting. And the reason why I am so into it is because I have the proper training. You don't just go to the range and discharge a firearm that doesn't prepare you for anything. Patriot Academy has the best four-day constitutional defense course 
that teaches you everything from proper draw from the holster, um, proper trigger control, sight alignment, clearing malfunctions. It's so much fun. Great training. Discounted really for 20% of the price because you know they have they have generous donors. Um, and if you sign up, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. Now you could sign up for for any time you want. They have these courses every few weeks. But if you want to meet me and other members of the audience, and here's the deal. You you got buy one, get one free. You could bring a friend or relative for absolutely free if you sign up. PatriotAcademy.com slash Daniel for the December 18th. So it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, it ends Thursday with a skills test. It's, uh, it's just a lot, a lot of fun, and it's deadly serious training that you need. Um, just the right balance between family-oriented fun and serious training. Again, looking forward to seeing all you guys out there in just about a month. Let me know if you have any questions, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com, but right now sign up at patriotacademy.com forward slash Daniel. So, again, you cannot run away from the problems we have. Um, you know, Republicans are like, yeah, you know, this Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, we got to get into the spirit. We got to take off time. We got to clear the decks, give the Democrats everything we want, and run out of town. But, you know, the, the, the problem is, Republicans and conservatives have been talking about FBI, FBI, FBI all year. And here we are, mid-November, and nothing has changed. Like, this is not funny. They're still doing it. They are still doing their stuff. Nothing has changed. Let's first go over the anarchy part. So be like, all right, we have a police state, but at least you don't have anarchy. Nope. You will get beaten up on the street. And then if you try to defend yourself, you're screwed. Latest in the Daniel Penny trial, this is the guy that neutralized that uh, violent uh, career criminal who was harassing people, violently lashing out at people. And he finally he took him down, put him in a chokehold. Um, Manhattan prosecutors doubled down Wednesday on their controversial decision to bring manslaughter charges in the subway chokehold death of Jordan Neely. This is from the New York Post. The evidence before the grand jury establishes that Jordan Neely transitioned from life to the throes of death during the precise moment that he was being held in a chokehold by the defendant, wrote Joshua Steinglass, assistant district attorney. Um, so they're like, he knew from his military training. See, this is what they hate. They hate white people. They hate white veterans. And they hate white veterans who defend people who can't defend themselves from their thugs. And that's the truth of it. And you all know it. And it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. Can you imagine the stuff you have going on in the New York subways? So you have one guy who saved a guy by taking him down without a firearm. Okay. And he's being uh, prosecuted with manslaughter. You have another guy held on 10,000 bail earlier this week, or last week, for firing warning shots at... Uh, a punk. Again, it's always the perpetrator is black and the good Samaritan is white. And by the way, in that case, I, I mean, this is peak. This is peak blue versus red America of why we need to self-separate, why we need a two-state solution, why we cannot put this baby back together. 
So I don't know if you guys saw this. Again, this was a guy from West Virginia. I don't know what he was doing in New York, but he comes to New York. He's like, well, I don't know. I got West Virginia values. I see a guy trying to, uh, a very violent looking guy, and he turned out to have had a violent past. Week prior, he was picked up in robbery, and he was harassing a woman and robbing a woman, and he fired a warning shot. And, you know, it worked. It chased the guy away, except police arrested him they arrested the robber the robber gets let out without bail and he gets held on ten thousand bail and he this guy didn't have much money i'm not sure if he was able to post it at the time his lawyers were saying he couldn't his, his lawyers said he couldn't po- post it so maybe he did maybe he didn't i don't know but that's the son of Gamara. Two, two two points i want to make so number one the woman who was the victim of the robber is going to testify against the good samaritan that is peak, peak America 2023. Red state white guy comes in, saves a blue, sta- blue state white woman from a black assailant, and she goes and testifies against him. Again, that, that is why we, ca- we cannot reconcile. And those people deserve everything they're getting. Everything they're getting. The other thing is there was a separate incident earlier this week in New York where two massive guys were beating on a cop for, you know, taking away their drugs or something. And really, I mean, like pummeling the guy, they were both released without any bail. Anarcho tyranny, baby. Again, you cannot run away from this. You can't wish it away. This is a big, big problem. Interesting article here from At Liberty Unyielding by Liam Vicente. I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing the name correctly. Um, it turns out that carjacking in Washington, D.C. has increased by 106% compared to last year and 600% compared to 2019 pre-revolution, which was in 2020, the COVID, BLM, Antifa stuff, 600%. Nearly three quarters of them involve a firearm. Gee, I thought, see, you know, you go down to D.C., you can't carry. They, they don't accept anyone, all 50 states. They don't accept anyone's thing. So you go down there, um, you have a lot of, like, congressmen. They can't carry. Can't carry. And, you know, it's, it's horrible around that area. Now, mind you, a lot of those same Republicans support jailbreak and still do, bizarrely. But three quarters involved a firearm. And then most of them are juveniles. And nothing happens to them. And this is the story of of America. This is increasingly the story of inner cities. That you now have, and look, I hate to say it, but this is the truth. What the liberals and the black community leaders and the government policies have all done over the course of two generations. And it's a damn shame because in the 1930s, blacks had a lower incarceration rate than whites. 
but they have created a cycle of violence, a culture of violence, where you have younger and younger and younger, you know, 13, 14 year olds that are just carjacking people and nothing happens to them and it's a free for all. It literally reminds me of the Arab world. It's, it's, it's almost a parallel where it's a cultural problem. By the way, I don't know if you guys saw this. There is a poll that came out from some sort of Arab uh, publication. Um, I want to get this right. It's called Arab AWRAD.org. If you want to look it up. Wartime poll, results of an opinion poll among Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. The Arab world for research and development. 75% support the, the massacre of, the, of October 7th. 75%. And by the way, the numbers were actually higher in the so-called West Bank than in Gaza. So that's what they have to deal with there. That that's what Jews are not allowed to live in the birth, you know, the the or I would say the birthplace, but the death place of Joseph, the birthplace of, um, you know, Abraham, or at least the place where the matriarchs patriarchs are buried in Hebron. By the way, there's also a news story out that the Christian churches in Bethlehem have been told by the Arab authorities there that given the war, it would be better if they don't put up Christmas decorations there. Again, you know, the, there's only one way to respect all the religions there, and that is to have Jewish control over the entirety from the river to the sea. But that's a different story. 75% support the massacre. 76% have a positive view of Hamas. 98.2% have a negative view of America. So, just remember, they don't change necessarily, not in large numbers, maybe a little bit, a certain amount, when they come to America. So, just know, when we bring in 3 million Muslims from the Middle East, knock 10 basis points off those polls, and that's how many people you have who share those views. It's not like they're ignorant about the history and they think that there should be an Arab state there or something. No, no, they actually support like they 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 like it the rape and beheading and torture and murder and all that stuff they they agree with it but anyway i mean this is sort of what we have in our inner city, cities it's a cultural problem and it's getting younger and younger and what's happening is and what has happened is all the let's say the 10 year old 10 year old brothers of let's say the 18 year olds they see them cycling in and out of jail and laughing about it so then they're like, that's cool, and they start doing it younger and younger. This is becoming a big, big problem. I mean, the media covers this up, but the amount of violent crimes that are committed at shockingly young ages. I mean, you have you have rapes at at 13, 14 year olds. Um, you know, and 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 this is this is going on. And and you could say what you want, juvenile this and that. The only thing a juvenile should matter is maybe shoplifting, you'll say. Obviously, you're going to clamp down maybe on a 30-year-old, 13-year-old less than you would a 25-year-old. But, you know, when you have a, you know, a already matured physically 13 to 15-year-old against some small white woman, 
it, there's no solace to the person. Oh, well, it's only 13. I mean, that doesn't matter. Reagan's Commission on Crime pointed this out already in 1981, that it doesn't make a difference when you commit, when you're talking about violent crimes, there's no solace to the victim that it was it was a younger age. In other words, everyone's like, but it's sad. Then, then you just destroy their life forever. This is the same decrepit, ungodly mentality we're seeing with Israel and Gaza. See, we can't do perfection in life. You got to do justice. And it, and, it, and it ain't pretty sometimes. But when the choices are the 13-year-old who violently beat on a woman, he has to eat it with his loss of life, or future women have to eat it, innocent people have to eat it with the loss of their lives, I'm sorry, but the perpetrator's got to eat it. Look, it would be nice if we rehabilitate, but that's the deal. Yeah, I, I wish we could extirpate the terrorists without killing the pro-Hamas civilians. But that's life. The two, warfare and crime policy, really do track closely. But you would think, wow, you know, man, maybe it's just a free-for-all. Boy, our government has just lost control over, over everything. No. When they want to hunt you down, boy, are they efficient. We obviously saw the case of... Uh, What's his name? Gregory Yetman, combat veteran, was hunted down two and a half years later in New Jersey for January 6th. And the FBI is working full time. Navy Chief Special Warfare Operator Bryce Henson, active duty, SEAL Team 6 member, not going to get better than this, is under investigation for participating with, with ex extremist causes. So this is what the Naval Special Warfare Command is now doing. Now you might think, what do you mean extremist? Is he working with Hamas, the Muslim Brotherhood? Oh no, that, that's fine. That's good. Gets a, gets a promotion for that. So I looked down this article at taskandpurpose.com, one of the military magazines, and I was trying to figure out, okay, look, what, what was so exciting about what this guy did? And it turns out they said he hung out with the Proud Boys, a white supremacist group. By the way, that, that's demonstrably false. A lot of their leaders were mixed race, particularly the Proud Boys. There was nothing white supremacist about it. It's just bizarre. Um, it's, just, it's just weird. But then the other thing is the LA Times revealed in October that Henson had used the pseudonym Ben Richards when he helped lead a rally to protest against rights for, for gay, lesbian, and transgender students. So, if you go to a rally opposing CRT, that's what this was, and DEI, or you oppose drag shows, you're an extremist. But if you march saying, you know, from the river to the sea, the Jews will be killed... That is, that is all fine. You cannot share a country with people like this. Now, the problem is, I, I just made that point a minute ago, you can't share a country with these wild-eyed liberals that you know oppose the guy who saved them from the criminal. The problem is, you could run away from hippie liberals like that. You can't run away from the FBI. So where are we in terms of the FBI 
from all the talk over the last year, weaponization of government, weaponization committee, where are we? And that's where I want to get to our special guest. So our interview segment today is sponsored by our very own Phil Robertson's new movie, The Blind, a Phil Robertson story. Uh, We need revival. We need redemption. We need repentance. And he has his own story of repentance and revival, redemption, that you don't see in Hollywood. Obviously, two generations of trash in Hollywood has molded the hearts and minds and souls of a this decadent generation we're talking about, this anarcho-tyranny. This is something, I think, of buying for the Blaze family, and I really want you guys to see it. I've, I've watched about half of it. It's really riveting. Buy it today at blazetv.com slash theblind for $19.99. That's blazetv.com slash theblind. So we've had him on a couple times, and I think now is a very appropriate time as we're looking towards the end of the year, and we think about Chip Roy's admonishment, how we can't even name one thing we've accomplished the entire year. So we're, we're exposing, right? We're, we're, there's a reawakening. We've exposed. We've realized how corrupt the FBI is. But here we are a year later. And what has been done by the FBI or, or, or by Republicans to the FBI? What has been done? What has been done by the Weaponization Committee? Yeah, I almost forgot it existed. Remember that? Um, you know, Steve Friend, we've had him on. He's become a friend of mine, FBI whistleblower, gave up a career on FBI SWAT uh, to become a whistleblower, went over to the House Judiciary Committee thinking that He'd say, look, I mean, you guys don't understand. There's a systematic persecution of conservatives. They're they're harnessing what should be used against the Hamas dudes and the Muslim Brotherhood organizations. They're harnessing against just regular political conservative organizations, military veterans, and you guys have to know about this. And he thought it would be a big deal. And here we are. You have this juxtaposition of the FBI is more weaponized than it's ever been. They're continuing to run that tyranny vehicle down the field, and Republicans are more feckless than they've ever been. And, you know, watching his account, and by the way, you need to follow him at Real Steve Friend, spelled like the word friend, at Real Steve Friend on, on Twitter. He's the um, fellow for, uh, he's a fellow at the Center for Renewing America, our friends over there. We got a lot of good friends, uh, Caldwell and Russ Vote and Rachel Semmel. Um, he's also going to be the host of a new podcast, American Radicals Podcast. We'll talk about that as well. But before we bring on Steve, and uh, you know, now that I have him on the line, I want him to hear this as I'm telling you. I have to be a little bit vague, but I had someone come to me who would very much be in the know, who had information about one of the therapeutics that was being used during COVID, that was pretty devastating. It was like, whoa, oh my, okay, so, yeah, wow, um, that's real poison, you know. And he wanted to know what to do, and I said to him, honestly, I'd love to tell you, yeah, you know, give up your career, quit, and go to one of the senators or, you know, House Oversight, House Judiciary, 
But in all honesty, I can't tell you to do that because you're going to give up your career for nothing because nothing's going to happen because we don't have a party or a movement that will use that as a vehicle to do anything with it. I mean, you could come out and say, you know, I'm, I'm working in, in, in one of the uh, trials or whatever. I'm working as a scientist and I find that they're putting cyanide into every vial of whatever the therapeutic is. I mean, it wasn't quite like that, but pretty much like that. It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. I mean, we literally have this now confirmed by everyone. Confirmed by everyone now that the stuff has, you know, the vaccines that is, has plasmid DNAs in it. It, it doesn't matter. Republicans won't. They're too dumb, don't care, don't understand. There's no machinery in place to take information and move it to the next level. And I don't know what to do how to get this beyond beyond that. By the way, speaking of which, and this is not the therapeutic I'm referring to, and I don't mean to get too off topic here, but there's actually news, I don't know if you guys saw, there was a Harvard study out that one in five people who take Paxlovid, the Pfizer COVID drug, get a rebound of the virus. And it's still, we spend billions of dollars on it. It, it won't matter. Nothing matters. So getting back to Steve Friend, I mean, he gave it all up for, and, and as we talked about last time, it's not easy. If you're a guy kind of middle age, you're not going to become a beat cop. You can't earn enough money to support a family at that age. What do you do? It's not, it's not a simple thing. So a lot of us are always like, we need more people to become whistleblowers, but then nothing happens with it. So could you blame them? With that, let's bring Steve himself into the conversation. So, Steve, you know, I was going to start off with something different, and I just got sorry about that filibuster there. But, but, what do you think about what I just said with whistleblowers, based on your experience? I think you're sort of echoing a sentiment that I've come to realize uh, since the testifying. I mean, it's been about six months since I had the opportunity to go to the Weaponization Committee, and uh, and not seeing the type of action that I, I really hoped and put my faith in, you know, when I first approached them, I said, look, this is my career and I'm doing it because it's the right thing. And in the hope that it'll actually be the sacrifice that's necessary to have reform and, and, and see that come to light because you actually have the power now. This is not a long-term proposition here. There's an election every two years. You, you have to take action now and, and exercise the power that the voters gave you. Uh, but it seems to me that it's, it's more about, gathering information to issue a report and and that that's really not going to impact anything because you know people don't have the patience or the time or the bandwidth to pay attention to you know what uh what what congress digs up and puts on a sheet of paper they want to actually see action they want to see major changes because it's, it's necessary and i want to talk about why it's necessary first some of the latest but before we talk about what they are doing i want to talk about what they're probably not doing um, given your experience with uh, counterterrorism, so give us a sense of what the FBI is or isn't doing or should be doing when you look at the October 7th attack in Israel. And it's kind of echoes after with you know the rise of ISIS. You saw there's certain galvanizing events that take these kind of sleeper, subversive elements we have that we imported from the Middle East – and suddenly they're like, you know, out in the streets and we're thinking, whoa, I didn't realize you believe in that. And 
you know, it's not just the people yelling, you know, from the river to the sea, but you have that a lot too. You have the Muslim Brotherhood organizations, you know, hook, line, and sinker involved in this. And then you have all these kinetic attacks, right? I mean, you know, in other words, everything they said January 6th was doing, that there was a broader, you know, organization behind right-wing terrorism that never existed. You had several um, attacks planned on Jews. Some were foiled, some weren't. Do you get a sense that in the FBI they're like having a holy crap moment with the Muslim brother and Hamas, or is that not a big priority? I think that they're looking at this as a fantastic opportunity. They're going to play the this up to encourage Congress to renew Section 702 FISA. They're going to say mm. that it's an absolutely necessary tool for them, and then they're going to turn around once that happens and use it to go after their their primary targets who as we're coming to find out, and look, I've known this for a couple of years, but it was revealed this anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremism, who the FBI describes as individuals who might have a perception of government overreach or negligence, or even question the legitimacy of a government like an election outcome. And that will put you in the crosshairs of a domestic terrorist investigation. Because even when Christopher Ray is asked about the threats from a Hamas type of organization, he immediately pivots to domestic terrorism on the home front. <laughs> so that that's a really important point, Steve. I'm glad you brought that up, that we can't fall into that trap. Like, wait, you're not going to import the world, then have the Muslim Brotherhood organizations operate openly. I mean, these guys have di- directly violated anti-terrorism statutes. You don't need any new authorities. Um, you don't need surveillance for that. So they're not going to do that because it's ideological. They, they, you know, that's that's racism, right? So they're not going to go after them. But then they're going to use it as an excuse. Well, you know, oh, this is Hamas. We can't reduce the FBI's budget, and we need to reauthorize. Where is seven hundred two? Where does that stand now? Did it expire September thirtieth? Was it reauthorized with the CR? No, it's it's going to be at the end of the calendar year. That's oh, that's right. Something that hopefully they would take up, but. Obviously, they're taking their Thanksgiving break, and then they're going to come back and and be pushing on the budget. And I I don't know how much attention that's going to get. And and that is one of the the rings of power that that the government has proven that it cannot have. It is only useful to an FBI if it's misused with its reverse targeting. And they're not even hiding that fact. Merrick Garland has testified how 702 is a vital tool for them because they use it to combat fentanyl trafficking at the border. Well, newsflash, that has nothing to do with what that tool is intended for. So you're only misusing it to your own ends. And, and look, you might be able to track down some fentanyl drug dealers. Uh, but again, again, it is the ring of power that they have at their, at their fingertips, and they're using it to go after American citizens, which is not what it's intended for. Do we have any metrics as to how often it's abused? Well, it was reported that the FBI had close to 300,000 abuses of it in 2020. And, and and that's in, just in one year. So in, in the the report comes out, and Christopher Ray testifies that they've had some improvements on it, and they and they've had training on it. But the the, the latest figures of it aren't going to come out until um, until after this expiration date comes. And I think that uh, they're hoping that they can just get get through this period, get the get the renewal, and then at that point. It's it's almost like an Obamacare type of thing that the roots are in, and it never goes away because. Uh, the Republicans fear being the defund the police party. They they really do, and and they haven't messaged correctly about how this is is yes. not defunding police. It's it's uh, eliminating an abusive agency. 
So you're saying that there's not much of an appetite to just simply let 702 lapse on December 31st? I don't, I don't believe there is. I think that there's always this Pollyannish uh, belief that if you just put just the right guardrails up or if, if once we're in charge, we'll be able to use it and we won't misuse it because we're benevolent and magnanimous. Uh, but you, you just don't have to look too far down the line to see, you know, there will come a day when, when uh, a, a king who knows not Joseph will rise to power. And if this tool is only useful to an agency that is deliberately targeting Americans now, uh, if it's misused, they will not be able to resist that temptation. So, I mean, this is another thing. By simply allowing it to expire, we we can get rid of a big tool of tyranny, but they won't do it because, you know, and, and, and by the way, as you're talking, it really pisses me off because when it comes to actual crime, they buy into criminal justice reform, right? They buy into that. When, when it comes to local you know, cops, state, you know, uh, sentencing laws, all into de-incarceration. But then when it comes to a tool that, I mean, when you're dealing with the FBI, it's like, why do you need an FBI? By definition, um, the under the current purview, they're abusing it. And again, I don't see, we will not fund this abuse. And then you talk about all the abuses, the, the statistics you just said would shock people, 300,000 abuses in one year, and, and they admit to it. But instead, it's like, well, we got a bunch of reauthorizations. We have to manage the calendar. We have to make sure we have a good debate on it. There's no agenda. It's like, okay, but what do you believe? You're not you're not an announcer. You're supposed to be a fighter on the field. So nothing on that front doesn't look very good. Um, back to the FBI. So meanwhile, while Republicans haven't done anything, they're continuing everything they're doing. Um I just saw the ninth defendant convicted of the FACE Act. This is that fake thing that they're using to hit up abortion uh, protesters. They've they've now got it on the ninth person. They're continuing that. I'm also seeing if you could talk a little bit back, because this involves you, and we talk about um, whistleblowers. So thankfully, there were, and I, I don't know, you know, I mean, you, you could tell me what you can and cannot talk about, but... Um, you know, Deborah Hine at American Greatness is a good article on this. Uh, whistleblowers, FBI purging Bureau of Religious Conservatives, military vets, and Trump supporters. Basically, they've caught a bunch of whistleblowers um, that seem to have ties to people like you who are former FBI agents that they don't like. Can you talk more about that case? Yes, this is this is whistleblower disclosures that came out. Actually, Kerry Pickett in the Washington Times originally reported on it, mm-hmm. and these are recent disclosures that came out that the FBI is purging employees who it felt were providing me and and Kyle Serafin information for our role in being technical advisors on the Dinesh D'Souza police state film. Uh, and wouldn't you know it, these are individuals who we have no relationships with whatsoever. Uh, and and then further digging into that, the FBI has recruited between one and 300 people on temporary assignment to conduct security clearance investigations on their own people for individuals who they think fit the profile of being conservative, uh, being military veterans. Obviously, they, 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 they draw that connection. They think that those people might have questionable loyalty because they might have conservative political beliefs. Uh, and, and then even being unwilling to get vaccinated against COVID, regularly attending religious services. These are all sorts of 
the profile that they've they've cultivated and they've developed to go after and purge from the ranks of the FBI, and they're abusing the security clearance process as they did to me and as they've done to other whistleblowers, where they you can't work on the inside of the FBI without that. So they suspend you and then wait you out for years on end and financially bleed you white until you just go away. Uh, and, and they've made they're not making a secret about it at this point. This is uh, they're creating a culture of fear for either people who are true believers in what they're doing or those who are too afraid uh, and are just willing to follow orders in order to keep their jobs. I mean, I want you guys to understand as Steve is talking, you know, you have people in this administration and state in defense with direct ties to the PLO, with direct ties to Iran, and that's all good. That's that's good. That that fits the bill. Um, again, that's the anarcho-tyranny. They have it perfect. When to turn on and off that spigot of scrutiny, enforcement, um, they, they don't make a mistake. I mean, these guys are pretty good. I never saw where they accidentally went after something that didn't fit the narrative. Um, talk about the kinetic approach of FBI SWAT. I mean, you talked about that a little bit last time, but through the prism of the Gregory Yetman case, this combat veteran who is charged two and a half years later on January 6th, um, I mean, that's how weak it was. It took two and a half years to even charge the guy. And they go and come come down with full bore. Eventually, there's a manhunt, and two days later, he turns himself into local police. Talk about what you saw there and how that portends a very troubling trend. This is incredibly, enormously troubling. This is the FBI departing from what it should be. And this is making the process the punishment. Because as the premier law enforcement agency, you should pride yourself on using the least amount of force necessary to bring individuals who have been charged with a crime into custody. And it's a failure to look through the tools at your disposal, uh, or it's intentional. You could easily call someone who was alleged to have committed a crime two and a half years later. You could call them on the phone. You could contact an attorney and ask him to surrender. Uh, you could use local police. You could interdict him using surveillance. There's a host of tools available, but to immediately default to the SWAT team, I think, uh, pretends something very troubling because, one, it reveals that, that the, the FBI is no longer interested in the process itself, which I contend should be the prime directive. We should only focus on the due process. You conduct a fair investigation by policy, by law, by constitution, and then that person has their day in court. You don't care about the win and the loss column. As long as the process is followed, it's up to a jury of their peers. That is victory for the government. That's what we expect of them. But now they put their thumbs on the scales through the through the court systems, and it's not enough even at this point. Now, now they want to actively punish people as far as they can, even before that, and, and using a SWAT team and having a higher risk of danger to that individual, having the perp walk, having the the cameras up in the air, the CNN cameras notified ahead of time. This is all part of a weaponization that's gone on within the FBI, and, and it's it's unacceptable it's, it, from the fact that people are going along with it. And, and these are SWAT guys who, you know, I, I worked on SWAT for five years. They know what's going on, and, and they're, they're continuing to go along with it, which is very disturbing to me because you're theoretically a person of integrity once you swear that oath to the Constitution, and, and they've just now gone along with police battalion 101 mentality, the banality of evil, just following orders. But who are those people? I mean, I'm trying to figure them out. They don't 
Who right now would be an FBI SWAT that's a hippie? I don't. I don't think that that they put too much thought into it. They just view it as they're a small part of, of a process, and there's not a whole lot that they can do. And, and look, the, the objection, one of the objections I raised when I came forward was there was an individual charged with the felony related to January 6th. They were going to send SWAT to his house. It had been a year and a half. He had pledged to cooperate. And I thought that that was a risk to his safety, to our safety. And I, and I brought that forward. Uh, and I was told, look, Steve, you're just going to be driving this person to court. That's your role here. It's it's just a small little piece. And and from my perspective, I said, I, I don't see any difference between that and put, putting someone on a train to Auschwitz if I feel that we're violating their, their rights, their due process, their, their civil liberties, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. I, I, it's incumbent on me, having sworn that oath, to, to step up and do that. I don't know that they're recruiting the people into their ranks now that actually do that level of thinking uh, or are paying attention to what's going on. E- even senior executives who I can contact with and, and raise concerns with, they were genuinely surprised when I said that I do not believe that these individuals who are going to the, the D.C. circuit are getting due process. And it was a, honestly a surprise to them that I felt that way because they just haven't been paying attention to what's going on. That That's very disturbing. I mean, it is. But on the other hand, coming back to what we started with, at the end of the day, you you know, let's face it. Is it really worth it? I mean, I, that's what I'm struggling with. If the system's so broken, these guys are like, well, you know, it's not like I'm going to change anything anyway. It's, it's just this general sense of hopelessness that I think is endemic of the broader electorate. Uh, some potential whistleblowers might have the same problem. Um, could you speak to how much contact you've had recently with the staff or members of the Weaponization Subcommittee on Judiciary? Yeah, I, I haven't had very much contact. I, uh, I got a text message uh, as a, just a regular check-in uh, on one occasion. I've uh, sent a couple of, of messages to their to their investigator uh, with some queries or try to connect him to to other individuals, uh, but really haven't haven't heard back. Uh, I don't know if they're in the process of of building a report or if they're going to need more from me. I've, I've made myself available. I've told them that you know honestly, uh, I have a lot of information that I, I, I cared to bring to their attention. Uh, I think that I, I was maybe typecast to a certain extent as a January 6th whistleblower, which I think you and I would agree that the Republicans just have no appetite for, for taking up yep. right now. And, and as a result of that, it's contaminated in their eyes, at least anything oh. else that I could bring to light because it's always going to have the Steve friend label on it. And, and I, I don't care about having my name on it. I, I really just came forward and saying like, look, there's, there's other issues here and January 6th is a symptom of, of problems in a lot of ways. Uh, but again, they, they're, they're loath to actually take that up because it's so politically toxic in their eyes. Just like they won't take up vaccine injury, which the polling clearly shows now is not politically toxic. But, you know, that's that's just their mentality. They just live in a different world. And I find that so sad. So that leads us to the states, you know, and that's that's the bottom line. And and I well, look, I don't want to put words in your mouth. From my perspective, I view the trajectory of the FBI and like-minded DHS sorts of, you know, agencies like HSI, that they're headed to a point where they're just going to straight up grab people for speech. And and there are some cases where it's almost like that, where people like me, for what I say, one day I can get a knock at the door. And I want to be able to say, look, I'm going to be able to move to a red state where I know that we could put together a political 
and legal structure in that state that will throw up hoops to that happening. If you were, you know, king for a day, well, not even king, if you were a conservative movement leader that we lack, <laughs> but we, we sorely need, and you're like, look, they're not listening to me at judiciary, but I want to take my roadshow, my whistleblowing onto the states. The legislative sessions are going to meet very soon. A lot of states really need to start crafting legislation now for the session beginning in most states in January. What are some pieces of legislation, model legislation, that you think we should be pushing? I agree with you on this. It's going to have to come from the states, and I think it's going to get darker before anything else because as the FBI's reputation continues to just go into the toilet, uh, the days are not long before red areas are going to have juries that acquit any defendant that is an FBI defendant, which means that the FBI is only going to do the bidding of blue areas, which would mean it's going to start continue to target to a greater extent individuals who have been uh, who it's been weaponized against. I think from a state perspective, uh, they have to divorce the idea of enforcing federal law is completely reliant on an FBI. You can, there's a host of other agencies here, and look, I'm not waving the pom-poms for an ATF or Homeland Security or DEA, uh, but certainly my, my experience was within the FBI, and I think it's rotten to the core and corrupted. They have to push uh, on and lean on their, their state law enforcement authorities, like in Florida, I live in Florida, you have the FDLE, um, and even sheriffs at, at county levels are going to have to be willing to say no to the federal funds that the FBI says that it brings to bear for you and divest themselves. And, and that, that I think that can be done at a state legislative level. They could even just passing uh, you know, encouragement for, for localities to to divest from the FBI, no longer cooperate with it, and create these and fortify these areas where then the FBI will say, well, if we can't get our hooks into them, we're just going to go where, there, where there's more fertile area, and, and it, unfortunately, we'll have to balkanize to a certain extent, but at least it creates a speed bump in the way of an FBI because it, they're going to push where there's mush. If it's, if it's a hardened area, it just will not, the juice won't be worth the squeeze from the FBI's perspective because the FBI, as politicized as it is right now, it is still wholly driven. Its, its highest priority is hitting its quota figures so it can ensure its bureaucracy continues to grow through the budget process. And if they are not going to be able to hit their numbers by going to your area because you're not cooperating with them, they'll go where they can to, to gin up those stats. I, I definitely think that's the path, like you said, barring local law enforcement from working with them, at least under certain circumstances, if you want to walk before you run, um, you know, making it clear that if it's if the attorney general finds that it's a political, um, you know, politically charged investigation and eventually uh, operation, then it needs to be thwarted. And also, I would say, you know, based on your point, that's why it's increasingly important that we need red states. And this is going to be one of our priorities to pass a law allowing um, or at least bolstering existing law, the defendant to file a motion alleging political bias and prosecution and expand the jury pool out, you know, a couple of jurisdictions to surrounding counties. Because if you're in a place like Texas and, you know, the FBI targets you and you're in Texas, but you're not in the rural area, you're in Austin or Houston, 
then you're going to have largely the same problem you would have in New York City. And, and that's why, you know, obviously we might say, well, we don't have the votes to do this at a federal level, right? We want to do this at a federal level. People caught in D.C., you should be able to get a jury pull that would expand out to Virginia and West Virginia. And, and it's a more equitable jury. Well, we don't have the votes for that. Republicans certainly never going to push it. But when you look at these supermajority trifecta states, they a lot of them still do have pretty raunchy urban areas where, um, look, I mean – Steve, I, I just talked a moment ago about in New York City, this woman who was a victim of a robbery is now going to testify against the Good Samaritan who fired a warning shot and uh, sided with the robber. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, this is the type of jury pool you're going to get. So I think you're right. That is an interesting thing. If we pass that, even though that directly doesn't have much to do with the FBI, but indirectly, it will make it that they'll be acquitted and it will gum up the works. Uh, and, and you know, they, they just are desperate to fill their quota. It's definitely a very good point. Um, any any parting advice of what you think my audience should be focused on, state or federal or anything? Obviously, it's the FISA, you know, to tell their members they have to just simply let it expire. Anything else on your mind that people need to know about? Yeah, I, I think I'm always push, push local. Uh, I think that you have the greatest impact in, in at the county level, at the city level, at your school boards. So just, I, I have spoken to multiple groups, um, you know, in the last few months. And I, my, my parting message to them always is that, you know, being an American is not a leisure pursuit. You have to be willing to be inconvenient sometimes and, and uncomfortable sometimes. You, you can't just veg out and watch Netflix every single night. And that, that's going to require you to, uh, to, to, to go and, and impact your local level. Because if, if you have a a strong community, um, like, as I said before, uh, the FBI or a weaponized federal government is going to be low to, to sort of penetrate that because uh, it's, it's their government workers. They're, they're glorified DMV workers. They would rather work smarter, not harder. It's not worth their time. And, and that's, that's something you can do, especially because those people are more accountable to you. They, they know you, they live in your community, and they're more apt to listen to, to, uh, to your suggestions and your thoughts. You got to put up the fight, and that's what it is. I appreciate you sacrificing your your career, and hopefully it won't be for naught. Uh, and we're going to try to obviously channel it into something of substance. I really want to draw upon you for some of the state legislative sessions helping craft model bills that are at least somewhat achievable and realistic to passing so we could start hardening up some areas, at least throwing some speed bumps, th- showing some sort of fight. Again, at Real Steve friend on twitter so where could people find this new podcast of yours well they can find it on rumble i am uh, partnering with garrett o'boyle who also testified with me uh, in, in last may in front of the weaponization committee uh he's, he's definitely gotten uh, just as raw of a deal as being a, a whistleblower for the fbi uh it's called american radicals podcast it's going to be starting out on saturday noon eastern uh, and we are talking about uh, the, the weaponization that that we're seeing, and we're just giving sort of a an insider outsider perspective because I think neither one of us really ever saw this in our future. We're just regular guys who wanted to be good agents, and, and now we've been thrust into the spotlight. So we've kept one foot you know, firmly in being regular guys, and uh, maybe a toe into into what we know what's going on. So in the world and not of it, and uh, and sharing that message out there with anyone who uh, who wants to hear it. Really excited about that American Radicals podcast. And folks, that's what it's going to take, American Radicals. We need to be radical to combat radicalism. 
um, and do it in the right way, do it in a strategically focused way that's going to net some degree of accomplishment, whether it's changing the country for the better or if that's not achievable, finding some landing place where we could be safe and secure as a sanctuary from both anarchy and tyranny. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for joining us and thank you all for the terrific week we've had. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Hope you guys have a family-oriented weekend. God bless y'all and thank you for listening.